All right, today we are talking about being relentless. Fern, what does that mean to you? I've heard this, I, I stole this from somebody, and it means being more stubborn than the athlete that is standing in front of you. Ooh, I like that, being more stubborn. You know, I, I think I just tell people that it's, you know, you, you can't let your eyes get used to shitty movement. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, often when you say that you're offending whoever the athlete is, but it's not as if they're moving shitty. It's just, you can't be the coach that's like, well, there's Susie and Susie pulls early and there's so-and-so, you know, and they always, you know, they always forget to open their hips. So it, it can't be simply you allow people to continue to move poorly. Yeah, and this is something that I know you regularly bring up at the level two, and then something that that I've really had the opportunity to dig into uh, in things like the CDP, um, because the um, th because when people are outside of their comfort zone with regard to they see they normally see Jenny or Bob or whatever they kind of they brush that off to the side, but the second they come into my facility and they don't know these athletes you can't kind of get away with that anymore. Like there's no justification for it because you don't know that person. Like you, what you've done is you just not tried hard enough. So that's the interesting topic. It's how do we balance this idea of being relentless with the same idea of providing the best hour of their day? Well, you know, when I took my level two back in 2008, I passed it, which was, you know, a challenge back then. Very few people were, but one thing that always resonated with me was Nicole Carroll said, AJ, people really like your coaching. They really like being around you, but you need to be more relentless. And that was almost the reason I didn't pass. It's just, it's a struggle and it's hard, especially for newer coaches. Yeah, the, the relentless, I think a lot of the reason the relentlessness aspect of coaching is difficult is because it's, it's largely abstract and it's very much situationally dependent, which makes it really difficult to navigate as I have multiple classes throughout the day and have different athletes in those classes and each one of them has an entirely different scenario and the relentlessness needle gets moved differently based on all of those athletes. So that the, I understand why the concept of being relentless is exhausting and, uh, but it doesn't mean that we don't tackle it. We just have to, you know, just do it better than we're doing it currently. You know, we just got to make that t-shirt by the way. Yeah, we do have to make that t-shirt. So when we say this, though, let's, let's give our listeners, as we always try to do, some tangible takeaways. You know, when we say being relentless, first thing we want you to think about is, okay, you know, I'm, what am I coaching and what am I looking for in this movement? So let's just take the, the air squat. Okay, what am I looking for? Well, you know, heels, knees, depth, arch, we want proper line of action. Great. Now, do we just accept if someone's moving a tiny bit better versus they can be moving even better so it's really comparing them to their potential so the way i would describe it is have i gotten this person to move as well as they're going to move today for this movement so that that automatically factors in like what they got going on their movement restrictions what the workout is like all of those psychologically what they're dealing with and the goal is i have to get them moving as well as humanly possible in this hour, right, to make it the best hour of the day. So for instance, I have, uh, I just did the uh, the 9 a.m. class at the gym. I think there was 15 people in there. The workout was 
it was uh, double unders, air squat, push up, burpee, pull up, and then air assault bike at the end. It's a chipper, so it's four rounds, and there's rest in between. So it's each one is a sprint. But anyway, so if you think about things like uh, the air squat and the push up specifically, really, really prime offenders for people moving not at their best because it's an air squat. I don't even want to say shitty, just moving not at their best uh, because they're moving quickly. There's no load. So the safety factor is virtually non-existent. Um, and what you have, most people would look at that and be like, well, they're moving fast and it's just an air squat. And right there, what I've done is I've justified not doing anything. Right. So I think it was, uh, I think Steve Haydock kind of introduced me to this concept, which I really try to emphasize in, in this. And I do this to try to enforce relentlessness or, or push the needle on people's ability to take action on, on improving movement. So if you, so let's say somebody is squatting and their, and their stance is narrow and it's not, it's not like their heels aren't together. So they're not in tiny dancer stance, but it, they're narrow. It's inside the shoulders and they're squatting right at that point when it's gray. Right. So it's like right on the cusp of, of is hip crease below the knee or not. And a lot of coaches, the vast majority that I would deal with would put a qualifier on that movement. They would say the stance is a little narrow or they're, I don't know, pretty close to parallel. And when I say a little narrow or pretty close to parallel, what I've done is justified not doing anything because I've created some arbitrary metric on like what is severe enough deviation from appropriate that justifies my intervention in this problem. So I don't let people say things. And normally this comes in the seeing drill. I don't, I remove their ability to say, and they do this all the time. I'm like, what do you see about the elbows in that front rack position? Well, the elbows are a little low to which my response is, are they a little low or are they just low? And psychologically, there's a difference there. If I just say the elbows are low, that very much forces me to do something about it. But if I say they're a little low, then again, now it's like, okay, well, what makes it a lot low? And now it's this weird arbitrary metric of like, where do I intervene? Like, what's acceptable? Like, is that kind of quasi decent movement acceptable now? And then you get into this weird, you know, and this is another thing. I think, I think Steve stole this from Andy Stump, which is like what you allow in your presence is the standard. So if you allow people to have their elbows low, regardless of deviation, then it's just okay at this point. Well, and I think everything you just said is entirely true. And as you're saying that, what it reminds me of is something I say often at the level two is if you see something, say something. Yeah. Regardless of the degree of deviation from, from, accepted parameters well yeah like you know i think you and i really like to use analogies and real world analogies if you know you got two kids and if as as logan's growing up she starts to chip in with the chores and she does the dishes one night and she leaves a bunch of food on one of the dishes and puts it away and you're like hey logan this is still a little dirty well i guess the bigger question is are you going to eat off that plate yeah and the answer, the answer is probably no like you, you or know, what is, or more importantly, like what is clean? If it's a little dirty, more importantly, like what is clean? And where and does clean, that acceptable line lie? Yeah, right. And I would say clean is clean. Clean means like it's been washed. There's no food on it, and that's the thing. The same thing with the elbows. We know that front rack position. Re, and and again, the problem is people take into account people's struggles in positions, which from a coaching standpoint, I just have to remove my feelings about that 
And my evaluation of movement needs to become very binary, not like in a robotic, you know, lacking empathy kind of way, but it needs to be very, very binary. It's either a one or a zero. It's either what it's supposed to be or it's not. Once I've determined that it's not, because it will virtually always be not, how close can I get it to a one, right? Whether it's a one or a zero, like how close can I get it to what is acceptable, best possible movement pattern for this person today? And then start working towards that. But it's not, it's never like, it's never, well, they're, they're kind of moving well. They're either moving well or they're not, you know, well, and, and, it, and it's relative to their athletes. Like you never move well. Like it's just is what it is. Like, <laughs> Sydney, if you're listening right here, there's your clip for the week. Go ahead and chop that up put it on social media. So, but I, but I think you're absolutely right. Now that the balance is okay. One, well, first of all, before I even get to that, I guess my question is, how often do you hear this one, though? Like, oh, well, their elbows are a little low, but they need some mobility. I mean, we've already talked about it at that ad nauseum. And the problem with that statement is, it's the problem with the statement is not that, that you're wrong, right? That the person is wrong when they say that. Usually, if we, if we, if we put context in this scenario, the, the issue is, so let's say you tell me that. I'm evaluating your coaching. I'm going to say, what do you see about that front rack position and you say well his elbows are, are a little bit down and he probably needs some mobility uh work on that i'm like a you don't know that we we've not done an assessment you haven't asked him to bring his elbows up any higher you, you've done nothing that would resemble relentlessness in order to get some data back that would be for the most part universally agreed upon that that is the extent of what we are going to get in this scenario and that is, that's where the hiccup is, is, is there's an assumption about what people can do without actually trying because it's uncomfortable for us to make other people uncomfortable for whatever reason. And I get it. And I think my favorite example of that is typically at the level ones during the front squat. I think the front squat, you know, during the, the squat breakout is one of the most eye-opening opportunities for new coaches. Even just recently, I had someone, I think I was in, I was in Tampa and I forget the guy's name, but he was from another country that I like Suriname or something. And that's you know, not he, a country, by the way. Well, <laughs> it's a continent, maybe. I don't yeah, know. yeah. So, it's definitely not a continent. <laughs> For those of you uh, wondering, Jay did not pass geography. In I did terrible history. History yeah. and geography were not my strong suits. So anyway, elbows pointing down, knees going in, and I I tuck them in to the middle. Three minutes later. I'm telling you, it was, I remember telling Jenny after she was there and I was like, wow, that was the biggest change I've ever seen in someone's front squat. And it was really just being relentless. I, you know, I always joke like, hey, there's usually two things going on in someone's front squat. They're either really tight or they're really lazy. And we can fix the really lazy stuff pretty quickly, you know, get those elbows up, give them those targets. But like you said, you have to be willing to, you know, I know that people at their level ones are most likely willing to work very hard for you. They're there for a reason, but so are your athletes at your box. And I think mm -hmm. now finding that balance of, you know, we talk about being relentless when it comes to criteria of an effective coach, you know, presence and attitude, but where do we balance that being relentless with also letting people leave the box happy? So the first one is, and I think the vast majority of people in my experience inside my own affiliate, having done the coach development program, having done level ones and level twos, um, and evaluated many, many coaches over the years is the first way we delineate the difference between 
that, you know, like what's overly relentless versus not is there's a clear line in the sand, which is, have you done anything to improve that position? Whether it's a visual cue, a verbal cue, a tactile cue, all of those things. So that's the first one. And, and I don't know what your experience is, but the vast majority of coaches um, that are not having somebody look over their shoulder will not do anything and make the assumption that the person cannot get there, right? So a perfect example, we'll use the front squat because it's a prime offender with a PVC pipe. Everybody knows that that can be a challenging position to get into. So we'll have seven people in the group. A coach will be evaluating. Nobody will have the PVC pipe on their shoulder. And I'll simply ask the coach, what do you notice about 100% of the athletes in this group with regard to their front rack position? And they'll say, well, the PVC pipe's not on the shoulder, but they can't get it there. And I said, you might be right, but you haven't asked anybody to put it there. So that's the first thing, right? Is like, have you tried, right? Like either you've done something you haven't, again, going to make it very objective. You're like, you either asked them or gave them a cue or you didn't. And if you didn't, then that's the line I draw on the sand is like, that is the first step towards relentlessness. You have to put some degree of effort into trying to improve that movement. And every time I push somebody a little bit farther, for minimum 50% of the group gets into a better position, like a noticeably quantifiably better position, either the PVC pipes on the shoulder or the elbows come up 15 to 20 degrees into the front rack position. And it's uncomfortable. But the point is, we already know it's going to be uncomfortable. So like, it, like, let's just not beat around the bush anymore. Just get them into a better position, like work on it a little bit more. And then I think we can start to not until then, but then once we've asked, once we've given some sort of cue, now we get into that gray area of like what's pushing too far versus getting to the best possible movement that I'm going to get to today. Now, this is where I think it gets a little bit abstract because now I have to have a pretty high uh, EQ score. Like so um, the ability to read people's facial gestures, their body positions, like how like, you know, I like to describe myself as a like I'm a I'm a a wizard at determining the difference between a fake effort face and a real effort face. You know, you tell so what I'm doing right now. Yeah. You're not trying at all. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and the, and the reality is that I'm not a wizard. Like everybody knows the difference between somebody who's really trying hard and somebody who's mailing it in. Right. So I would tell you, I'm going to butt right up to the point where I've gotten all that I really need, which is effort. And then I'm going to reward effort and then I'm going to move on right? So I'm going to ask them to do something. I'm going to determine whether there was a good or bad change there. I'm going to push them all the way up to the point where like there's clearly effort being made there. I'm going to reward that with some sort of positive reinforcement and then I'm going to move on. That's like the simplest real-time tactical variation of relentlessness possible that, that I could give you. Is like, A, did you say anything? If you didn't, we can't even begin to have the conversation about being relentless as a coach. And then B, how much did you try to change it? Did you go through every possible change? Did you just tell them to squat a little bit lower? Did you change their stance? Did you change their foot angle? Did you tell them to push their knees out? Did you ask them to go a little bit lower? Do you have, like all those things? And it's like, it, I feel like relentlessness falls in that, that category. It's like, have you ever heard the, like the, like somebody try the, the kind of analogy about porn? Where it's like, even if you have, you've never seen porn, if you tried to describe it to somebody, it'd be a little bit weird. And even if you've never seen it, if I were to show it to you, you would know what it was, right? And it's the same thing with relentlessness is like, hey, listen, like you might not have never seen porn, but if I show you, you know what it is, right? And it's the same thing with relentlessness. You may never have seen it, but if I show it to you, 
you know what it is. Well, and that's the thing. And, and, you know, good analogy. And the truth of the matter is I think that's really what separates a good coach from a great coach. You know, by the time you're a good coach, maybe you're coming back to your level two or, you know, you're just improving at your box, but you're getting better at seeing movement. You know, you can see an early arm pull. You can see a knee caving in. You can tell whether it's time to adjust someone's stance. The question becomes, are you willing to put in the effort and make that athlete put in the effort to get better? And, you know, the, the elbows up is an easy example because it's something you can see, but maybe it's, you know, pulling early in, in the snatch and that becomes a little more challenging. You really got to dive deep into cues from verbal to visual to tactile. But, but like you said, it's really, that's, that's the hard balance of, is this the best they're going to get today? I, I, you know, I go back to a, an example at a level two from years ago. This guy's coaching the air squat, literally did three reps. And was like, well, that's how good he's going to get today. I was like, really? You don't think you can get him any better than that? You know, but you have to be able to find that balance. You know, I you think, can get an athlete. I think if, yeah, I think if you're looking for like a tangible, like if, you, if you've not made an athlete frustrated, and I'm not, I'm not even saying this is a good thing, but if you've not pushed to the point where you made an, ash, an athlete frustrated in some way, shape, or form, then we've not even approached anything that resembles relentlessness. Like, because as a coach, until you get more skilled and until you can start to develop the eye that leads you to root cause versus this thing that's going on, uh, and you have, you know, multiple variations of cues in your back pocket that you can kind of rip out and, and kind of get to some sort of solution, um, you're going to overshoot that. Like it is inevitable part of the process, right? Like you're going to overshoot it. You're going to ask for too much. You're going to ask for something that's unrealistic. And I would argue that that is the process with which to get to that fine balance of relentlessness that, that still allows people to have the really, really good experience in the best hour of their day. But you're, you're going to overshoot it. And if you're not, then you're not, again, without use, I'm like, I hate to use the term, but you're not being relentless enough in your pursuit of relentlessness with regard to coaching. Yeah. If you ever made someone cry, you're not really trying hard enough. And, you know, and, and oftentimes it does manifest in frustration and I've seen tears, but, but really what we're also looking at is just three, two, one, go. You see someone's elbows. Are you still reminding them over and over during it? And it doesn't have to be badgering and it doesn't have to be the only thing you say to them, you know, balance that, relentlessness when you see that effort being put in good job johnny you, you know you're like good job you, you did get your elbows up or you know great now let's keep that going and then come back next round it's part of it is just remembering hey this is what i'm working on with each athlete not trying to hit them with so many different fixes and so many different cues but you know in, in one workout like the example i used today you know maybe on the double under for one athlete it's keeping their hands in you know maybe for another athlete on the push press, it's, you know, not pushing early, but remembering where you are and just hammering those one or two things per athlete. So I'll give, I'll give like some, I was just writing these down as you're doing that. And um, a couple of things with regard to how to execute this, but more importantly for people to understand, like people are hesitant to try to exercise this idea of relentlessness because it usually goes wrong. Right. So here's a couple of ways that it goes wrong. Number one, um, they say the same thing over and again, over and over again. So it's like, Hey, elbows up. Hey, get your elbows up. Jason, get your elbows up. Jason, your elbows are still down. 
right? So all of that is the same cue without really changing it, right? So the first thing is like, ask, don't tell. Meaning, hey, Jay, can you drive those elbows up a little bit harder for me? And you're like, yeah, I yeah, can. I can do that. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, thanks, man. And you're like, you're welcome. And I'm like, this is a really pleasant inter- exchange of uh, you know, stuff here, right? So like, ask, don't tell. Because you're far more likely to get a response if you ask, don't tell, right? Instead of saying somebody, um, hey, widen up your stance. You're like, hey, can you move your feet out one or two inches on each side? And they're like, yeah, I'll try that out. And you're like, cool, thanks, man. Tell me how that feels on the next couple of reps. And you're like, cool, yeah, I will. Right. Again, like a completely kind of like ninja tactic from a coaching standpoint. Well, and, and just to stop you for a second, for all you gentlemen listening, that's the difference between your wife asking you, hey, do you mind doing something? And your wife telling you to do something like, no, 100%. I don't mind at yeah. all. And now I'm happy that you're going to be happy versus, yeah. you know, why is this bitch telling me to take out the garbage again? Yeah. I don't need that. that. Do you call that? You, I, I'm telling her. In that. my mind, I say it. I'm scared of, <laughs> I'm scared of her. Don't tell her I said that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, A is ask, don't tell, you know, because the, the likelihood of you having success or some sort of uh, moving the needle there is, is far more likely. The second thing is, um, I, the more often than not, I see this all the time. I saw this recently where, um, one of the coaches was asking an athlete to do something for like several minutes at the level two the athlete and this athlete was clearly resistant, like body language, facial expression, like the whole nine, like everybody within five miles knew that this athlete was not really about it. And so finally the coach got the athlete to make the change and I'm jumping for joy on the outside of the circle. I'm like, yes. I'm like, Hey, you were relentless. you got the change. And then the coach just walked away. So I stopped the group and I was like, you blew it. You gave about seven cues there. She clearly is not into this. And I'm like calling the athlete out too. I'm like, you need to be more coachable, number one. She changed it and you said nothing, right? If they give you some sort of improvement, you need to acknowledge that, right? Like that is how I get equity with my athlete in order to continue to be relentless is I have to reward the behavior that I'm asking for if they give it to me. Okay. So that's the second one. So first one is ask, don't tell. The second one is acknowledge or reward good movement. The third one is what happens all the time. So the coaches, the coach always says the athlete gets annoyed when I do that, to which I always have a follow on question. Who else are you cueing in the class? And the answer is generally nobody. Like you've just decided to pick on Sally because she squats high. So in order for me to not have some sort of perceived bias for this shitty mover or whoever this is, this person that causes me problems in the class, you have to be equitable with your cues. And maybe strategically, you start with the best mover. If I cue the best mover in the class for the first couple reps, it's not weird now when I move to the person who knows they don't move well. They're also not butthurt about it because they're like, oh, well, Fern's the best mover. He's clearly better mover than, than Jay is. And I, and he just got cued. So maybe it's not where, maybe they're not picking on me because I move poorly. Maybe that, maybe they're just coaching everybody. So that goes back to the whole, you know, kind of presence and attitude, which is like, you need to have those very clear one-on-one interactions with every athlete in the class by name so that that person who really does need a significant amount of improvement in their movement doesn't feel singled out. Right. Well, 
and and I think what you're saying there as well is you have to be coaching everybody and and you also have to be aware of people's personalities like there are definitely I like to think I'm coachable but there are days I'm tired and grumpy and it's like hey not today and and you'll be able to pick that up so part mm -hmm. of it is you know being able to read people and and that comes but but if you're the coach that always is assuming people don't want it you're probably just afraid to be relentless yeah and again there's tactics for that like and you say this all the time right which is like you can say almost anything to anybody it just depends on how you say it right so like if that that's a real scenario in coaching so ask don't tell right is is a is a real is a real shift in how that cue or whatever it is is delivered rewarding good improvement means that they're going to be open to the next time I come back and do that. And then coaching everybody removes this idea that they're being singled out. And that's how it, that, that's what gives me the right to be relentless with this person who does actually need it. Absolutely. I think that's, you know, those are some tips that people can take back. And, you know, if you're going to take it back right now, just throw some cues out to people, balance that relentlessness with praise, you know, don't be the coach. that's only ever, telling people what they're doing wrong, check in on people, you know, read them. If they're, you know, looking down, if they're seeming grumpy, okay, maybe back off a little bit, but, but don't lose sight that the goal is to get people to move better. Like I said earlier, my favorite glass move quote, don't let your eyes get used to shitty movement. You can't have that person at your box. that's just, well, so-and-so squats high and so-and-so does this. If they do that, it's your fault. Get them to move better. Yeah. And the, the reason relentlessness is so tough is, and this is why I recommend people videotape themselves. It's, it's not the athlete's fault. It's my fault. The delivery was not there to get the change that I wanted because if somebody can walk in right behind me and get them to move better, that's a me problem. That's not an athlete problem. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to look at it. Hey, if, if a better coach walked in, would this person be moving better? Cool. Then do it yourself. Yeah, then do that, but better. <laughs> That's it. Coming soon to an e-commerce store near you. <laughs> All right. Well, there it is, being relentless. We can certainly talk more about that, but um, great introduction to the idea of being relentless. And it's, it's one of the hardest things to do as a CrossFit coach, but it's going to pay off if you, can, if you can learn how to implement it into your style. So, all right, Fern. Good stuff. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. Just a reminder, Fern and I have an amazing new show called Dropping In, premiering on our YouTube channel in early 2020. Be sure to head over to the Best Hour of Their Day YouTube channel now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the episodes. You've probably heard us talking about it, summarizing some of our trip. You can see some highlights up on our Instagram as well, at best hour of their day. But I promise you, you're not going to want to miss out. So subscribe now. Thanks for everything you do. Thanks for letting us be a part of your lives. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Tune in tomorrow for another episode of Best Hour of Their Day.